0: Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz, and the Seattle Seahawks move to 6-0 and on the road after their 17-9 to win over the Philadelphia Eagles. A big thanks to the defense in this game with five takeaways. They move to 9-2 and now overall on the year and uh, put them in a pretty good spot for the playoffs. And joining me to talk about it is Rob Staten of SeahawksDraftBlog.com. Rob, thanks for coming on.
1: Happy to to be on, Brandon. Uh, What a great win. And, you know, even though this... This might not have been the most aesthetically pleasing victory. It was still a really important one. You know, the Eagles are still harboured some ambitions of getting into the playoff mix. Their next run of games was quite favourable. They were playing some weaker teams. If they'd have won here today, they had the potential to go on a really nice run in the NFC, and they would have had the tiebreaker over the Seahawks, and it would have been a huge momentum boost for the 49ers ahead of their game against the Packers. So a vital win, a good win, and great to see the defence following up that 49ers game.
0: Yeah, it was a good win. I don't know if I can call it a great win. If I look at the defense, yes, it definitely was a great performance by the defense. Offensively, they finished the game with 17 points. I felt like it should have been about 30.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think any any other day, this could have easily been the forty-two-zero game from two thousand and five. I mean, it, it could easily have been the number of turnovers that the Seahawks defense had. I'd I'd still say it was a great win just because when I was kind of coming into this game, and especially when we learned that Jadavian Clowney wasn't going to play, and then if you'd have told me before the game that Jeron Reed would be injured before half time with an ankle injury and that he wouldn't play the second half. I would have been seriously worried about the Seahawks in this game. I would have anticipated that the offense and Russell Wilson were going to have to pull out a magic trick in order to win against a really good defense. And then with the windy conditions as well, that would have been a, you know, a recipe for a really difficult day. And I think it's great because the one thing the Seahawks have had consistently well this year is a great offense. And we know the offense can play better than this. But in the last two games, the defense has shown that actually they might be able to support the offense, that if they're going to play a game in the playoffs, whether that's home or on the road, and at 6-0 they might be better off playing on the road in the playoffs, um, that they can actually win in different ways. It's not just going to have to be reliant on Russell Wilson. The defense has shown us a little bit of something now. It shows that they're, they're making progress. And if Wilson and this offense can play better than this, which we know they can, and if the defense can support them in the way that they have in the last two games, the Seahawks can be a contender.
0: I I really do love how the defense came out of this game, and yeah, you know, the three fumbles, uh, they had the two interceptions from Carson Wentz, a, a really rough day for Wentz because if Zach Ertz wasn't open, uh, there wasn't much uh, of, of in the way of receivers for him to throw to. Those guys just, in Seattle, uh, credit to them for locking down those guys. And nothing was open deep. I think the deepest shot that the Eagles had was right at the end of the game when the Seahawks are playing prevent defense and they get down to the two-yard line and what was a 17 3 game turns into a 17 9 game. Uh, the Eagles opt to go for two at the end of the game for some reason. Uh, and uh, <laughs> thanks to a fumble, it, it ends up being a slightly more than a touchdown score difference. Were you confused at all when the Eagles were going for two in that situation? Because, you know, unless you're going and trying to play for the win, you know, with the expectation that you get the onside kick. And and then, you know, throw for a touchdown and then, you know, you have the tie solidly and then you just need the extra point for a win. But it's just kind of curious to me that they decided to go for two right at the end.
1: There was a game recently between the Packers and I think it was the Panthers. And similarly, I think the Panthers were down 14 points late in the game and they went for two. And the announcer mentioned during the game that analytically it you have something like a a few percent more chance of winning the game if you go for two in that situation so the idea being is that if you can get ahead of the curve there then if you get the touchdown you only need the extra point to win as opposed to needing to kick two extra points to tie and then it go to overtime and then you take your chance in overtime so it's something to it's an analytical thing that some teams are paying attention to and they're playing the percentages of chance to win so that's the reason for it you know i can't say that i i've have a strong opinion on it either for or against right. um it kind of just felt like a bit of a waste of time really you know nobody gets onside kicks anymore it's just like get on with the game
0: <laughs> well and then that was just it was just an intriguing aspect to it at the end of the game that decision to do that when maybe and maybe just because we're so used to the conventional of going for the extra point kick and it was a windy day, too, so you don't want to have to uh, rely maybe on two kicks uh, in that situation at the end of the game. But the Seahawks come away with the win. You mentioned Jadevian Clowney. They do it without Clowney after his huge game against San Francisco and, and enough of a, a significant enough of an injury that even with the bye week, He's not able to come back from uh, against the Eagles. So that's a little disconcerting. And then the Seahawks on the day, they do get three sacks. Uh, Ziggy Onza with a sack and a half in this game. Uh, Jaron Reed, a half a sack. And Rasheem Green with the other sack as he lands behind Carson Wentz. Wentz doesn't see him. Green able just to punch the ball out. And uh, they end up getting the fumble recovery.
1: Yeah, it's it's a little bit concerning about Clowney because they they need him, you know. And as well as they played today without him, they do need him. He's been the one player that has been consistent this year, even when he is not doing what he did against the Niners. He draws a lot of attention. Uh, he can disrupt things in a major way uh, in the run game. So they do need him back. There were some positive comments before the game from John Schneider that they expect him back next week, and hopefully this is a situation whereby I think they said it was a hip injury, it could be core that he's. he's Feeling like, uh, do you know what? If I risk it today, I I might miss some time. Better to rest it today. Lane Johnson wasn't playing for the Eagles. Perhaps they felt that there was an opportunity here for Clowney to rest and still to win the game, and that is the way that it's worked out. So fingers crossed that he's going to be back next week. They will need him uh, against the Minnesota Vikings because of the way that they run the ball and because they are the kind of offense that I think if you have someone like Clowney and get to Cousins, get some disruption then, and it can be a big thing for the Seahawks. Then with obviously with Reed going out, as well these are two big players. They need them, and I think it's to the credit of the defense that they stepped up in such a way. I mean there are so many players. In this game, that that really you you sort of players that you wouldn't highlight as key players for the Seahawks. You know, you're talking about uh, Ziggy Ansah. It's had a terrible year. It had some pressure in this game. Rasheem Green had the forced fumble and a couple of good plays. Shaquem Griffin has suddenly been promoted into this role as a pass rusher, and he made some plays and had an impact today. Al Woods has been really consistent. Quinton Jefferson, you've got back him back in the lineup. He's making plays, and it kind of supplements. The good players that have been consistently performing. I don't think people realise how good Bradley McDougall has been playing. He had an interception today. Um, his passer rating on targets is in the top 10 for the league. So he's been playing really, really well. Condre Driggs just, Diggs has just settled in. The linebackers, I think, are playing a lot better than they were earlier in the year. The whole defence has just risen up in these last two games. And as I mentioned earlier, it's really encouraging because the offence will play better than this. The defense is showing a different level than it showed in the first nine games, and that is a huge thing.
0: Trey Flowers with the interception in this game and three-pass defense. It really felt like a a huge game for Flowers, uh, and and that interception kind of sealing the moment, uh, especially. Well, I guess you could even argue that Rashad Penny... Sealed the game for the Seahawks because up 10 to three, it it kind of felt like the Seahawks were really only going to need 10 points to win. But Rashad Penny after the Seahawks, uh, uh, I think a holding call brought it back to uh, from midfield to the 40 yard line of the Eagles and Rashad Penny with a 60
1: yard breakaway uh, right up the middle even. Yeah, do you know what? It reminded me a lot. I mentioned this to you off air. It really reminded me of the Giants game a couple of years ago in 2017, where uh, the Seahawks were playing uh, a team and they dominated them for most of the game. At halftime, the score was seven to three to the Giants and and the Seahawks were actually trailing by four they dominated by the end of the third quarter it was 10-7 to the Seahawks they'd, they'd made a huge number of errors on offence had not been able to put away the Giants they ended up winning 24-7 in the end um, but if you were kind of looking at the win probability it was like in favour of the Giants all the way through even though the Seahawks were dominating and this kind of felt a little bit like that and it was concerning because whenever it stayed 10-3 as I mentioned it could have been a real repeat of the 42-0 mm-hmm. um, from 14 years ago because it, there's so many turnovers, so many pressures, so many points where the Seahawks had great field position in the offense. I mean, w- Russell Wilson seemed off for most of the game. Um, I don't think that the offensive line played as well as they have done recently because of the number of penalties. Joey Hunt had a couple of bad snaps. DK Metcalf has. You know, as good as DK Metcalf has played this year and nobody can be overly critical of him as a rookie, you look at him in his in terms of his size and you think he's going to be really good in, in contested catches, high points in the football and tracking the football because of his speed. And he doesn't do any of those things well. You know, he is what he is, which is on a crossing route, he can separate, he gets amazing separation on some deep routes when he just runs downfield. He will get, he will beat his guy and he will make huge yardage. But on the plays... The reason he's not Julio Jones and Mike Evans and players like that is currently is because of the the contested catches and the, and the tracking of the ball. We saw that on the drop touchdown. We saw that on the, the drop pass very early in the game as well, which uh, led to a punt. You know, these are the plays that DK moving forward needs to make if he's going to realise his massive potential. Chris Carson, again, didn't have a great game. Um, struggled for yardage, looked tentative fumbled and then recovered as if, it, you know, his life depended on it. And then on the next snap, goodness knows what Wilson and Carson were doing on there uh, to give the Eagles again another chance. And that's kind of uh, sort of the highlight uh, that I picked out, uh, Brandon, when I was doing my write-up was if there was one sequence that summed up the game, it was the defence forcing a fumble when Quinton Jefferson was running away with the ball and he tried to lateral it to Shaquille Griffin, he got called back anyway. Uh, but then on the next two plays, the offence is penalised twice for a false start and a delay of game. Then Joey Hunt is penalised for tripping on third down. It takes him out of field goal range. And then on third and long, Wilson throws a bad interception into double coverage. And it was just the defence making a play, putting them into scoring position, the offence blowing it, not getting any points. It felt like it could be one of those games where all of these mistakes cost the Seahawks. Thankfully, it didn't. and They found a way through essentially two explosive plays to score enough points to win.
0: Well, and that was the most frustrating sequence of the day for the Seahawks because, like you mentioned it, they get the ball in, in a good position, and Shaquem Griffin makes a great play to force a fumble on the exchange between Carson Wentz and uh, I don't know if it was if it was a or Sanders. I think it was Sanders in that particular moment. And uh, Shaquem Griffin, you know, I go back, Rob, and I think about the time where where Shaquem Griffin was drafted by the Seahawks, and and you said you had this just this vision that one time that uh, you know even if he wasn't a starter, Shaquem Griffin would be in the game sometime and make. Some some Kind of game changing play for the Seahawks, and that really felt like that particular moment when he was the, just there to blow up that exchange and Jefferson able to get the recovery. Yeah, it's it, they shouldn't even be thinking about a lateral in that particular situation, but fortunately, he was down. And uh, and you know, that probably is the sequence that kind of defines this game, but I, I do want to go back to DK Metcalf because you brought him up. Uh, he only had 35 receiving yards, three receptions, and six targets. If he hauls in two of those passes, the the one the touchdown pass in the end zone, and then one of those contested catches, he probably has 100 yards on the day, and he might have one of the more impressive stat lines. Instead, the most impressive stat line that you look at is that one by Rashad Penny with 14 attempts, 129 yards, and the 58 yard touchdown.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, DK Metcalf probably could have had the game of his career. I mean, he, you, there was the Tampa Bay game, which was equally great as well. But there's there's the pass to the sideline, and he has to make that play. You know, that's feet for hands situation again. Unfortunately for DK Metcalf on that one, and then he on the one downfield, it was a, I don't think he tracked the ball particularly well. Yeah. But then he gets there and gets his hands on it, and and again, you just think nah, nah, he should be catching that. You know, however. Poorly, you may have tracked it. You re- kind of recovered mm-hmm. and then you drop it. I mean, that's taken points off the board. You know, if he gets those two catches, you're probably sticking another 70 yards plus onto his stat line for the day, plus a touchdown. Um, the other one was a little bit tougher. I think Wilson just led him a little bit more, but he got his hands on it again. And, you right. know, you kind of think, well, you dropped two. Can you make that one to make up for it? You know, it wasn't impossible for him to get that. So there are some issues there and you know, it is a problem for DK because he's shown amazing potential. As I mentioned, we can see what he can do very well. Um, But we want to see him become a complete player and realize his potential. I mean, who wouldn't want to see that? Um, And these are the steps he's got to take. What I would say though, is it's very difficult to learn how to, track the ball better into high point better it's kind of one of those things that players generally do naturally you either can do it or you can't and he may well just be one of those players that can be a bit frustrating sometimes I think they're going to need him though and they're going to need Josh Gordon and they're going to need uh, these other guys as well yeah, Malik Turner having a great catch and David Moore um, was involved. I mean, he had that one catch for 31 yards was involved in the interception as well, because Tyler Lockett did, did not look 100% today. I know he had that great catch at the end. Um, and Josh Gordon, had, you know, Josh Gordon's had three really good third down receptions in his time with the Seahawks so far. It's a little bit puzzling because I I
0: thought he was going to be more involved because that third down catch by Gordon, that came earlier on in the game. And the the Seahawks, I mean, they they struggled on third downs in this game. The, the Five of 14 on third down, they could have used Josh Gordon to, to make some more catches like that. And I don't know if it's just that he wasn't open or if he wasn't even in the game on third down.
1: Yeah, I would have thought with a bye as well, it would have given them ample opportunity maybe to get him involved. And he had one catch for 10 yards, only two targets in the game. Um, the other target, I think, was the one where they, they got called for a hold, or a pa- uh, you know, which was a terrible flag. And it bailed out the Seahawks um, after a, you know one of their many penalties, I think it was. They got into third and long. The flag was, was weak. The refs had a bad game, I thought. And it was a weak flag against Philadelphia, which led to an extended drive. But then Gordon kind of jogged back from that he kind of jogged the the through the the route anyway, which was kind of surprising. And then after he jogged through the route and not put in a fantastic effort, he was blowing on the sidelines. And they kind of think, eh, do you know, maybe he's not completely in game shape yet. But they've got to find a way to get him involved. I mean, he has shown the kind of the hands and the consistency that DK is not showing really. And that's that's the big thing. I think that is the big thing moving forward. Can they get Gordon involved? Can Metcalf maybe take a bit of a step forward here because? You know, Tyler's not going to be what he was for the first half of the season. They're going to need a bit of help here, especially with the tight ends all engine.
0: A weird game for the refs. 12 penalties called on the Seahawks for 90 yards. And two penalties for 15 yards on the Eagles. Now, one of those was declined because it was on that that long catch by Tyler Lockett, where he gets held. Which it seemed like the Eagles' defenders were doing all game long, is is doing that little hands around the waist thing, where that just holds him up off the route just enough. Uh, that was the one time it was called, and
1: and yet the Seahawks' 12 penalties. Yeah, it's, it just felt, you know, I'm not. It wouldn't suggest that the. Uh... The refs are biased or anything, but it it just felt a little bit like there was a few early in the game that could have been and they could have just turned a blind eye and they weren't. And then with the Eagles, they were. So there was the one that was the most uh, outstanding to me was when Jacob Hollister caught the ball, his knees were down, someone came in and kind of hammered him in the face mask. Oh, right. Um, Yeah, that was one early on in the game. And you're thinking, you know. I was thinking that that should be called in in this modern NFL. It's the kind of thing, it wasn't too dissimilar to the Quandre Diggs one that was called. And you think, well, you know... I'd, I'd kind of rather neither of them see see them get called, but you know th- if they're going to do one, then maybe do the other. I know they're not carbon copies, but and, and there was a few other instances like that, and um, yeah, it just it was frustrating. I think the Seahawks also obviously contributed to those twelve penalties. A lot, an awful lot. Some of them were false. There's many false. Yeah, I was going to say tri- at
0: least eight of those. I feel like were legitimate penalties because it felt like there were so many pre snap penalties by the Seahawks offense in this game.
1: And, and Joey Hunt had the tripping penalty, and Joey yeah. Hunt's playing a little bit like he kind of hangs on by his fingertips on every play. So there, there are some play, you know, he, he's just good enough on, on enough plays to not be a liability. It felt like a but weird then,
0: tripping call, though. Weren't both of his feet in the air? Uh, yeah. Can you, can you call a guy for tripping when, when he's just horizontal in the air and you're trying to run through his legs? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's, again, it's perhaps another one that, you know, another day they probably don't call. But yeah. um, I, I just think with Hunt that, you know, Britt had a consistency about him. You didn't really notice Britt. Yeah. Whereas Hunt, you do notice on a couple of snaps every game at least. Um, I think he's going to get us through the year. But if Brit's not coming back, um, I don't think we've found the heir apparent in, in Joey. He's, he's probably more of a, a better backup than he is. Uh, a potential starter, so uh, the good news is, and I've been doing a bit of work on this this week, is that there are some good centres in this draft, so uh, if they wanted to bring one in or maybe Alex Mack or somebody like that would be a free agent so uh, they've got some options there if they don't bring Britt back to the injury, but um, yeah, I, I think that Joey is he like a fingernail, that hang just hanging in the balance, you know, he's about to come off uh, every snap, and then he, if it doesn't come off, you kind of breathe a sigh of relief and then every now and again it does, so
0: yeah, I, I look at Joey Hunt and I see him as just a, a very good, you know, reliable backup type of center. Yeah. And and that just that seems to be a solid role and, and a good role for a guy who is a former six-round pick. So uh, that's definitely a draft pick that you look back and say, well, shoot, for a six-round pick, that's a guy that you hit on. Everybody seems to be writing off Britt as, as not yeah. coming back in the future. And a,
1: a part of that has to do with his cap number, I suppose. Before the injury, I would have said there was very little prospect of Justin Britt not being on the team because he is so consistent. He knows the offense. Center is a a sneaky position. It's hard to find a good center. There are not many good centers in the league. And the Seahawks found a very consistent one. So I would have said it would be unlikely. But then the thought process has changed a little bit. One, because of the injury, and you don't know. You know, his cap here is something like 12 million next year. So if he's not going to come back at the level because of the injury for whatever reason, then you maybe have to think about things there. You can save 9 million by moving on. They're going to have about 60, 70 million to spend in the off-season if they want to keep Genevieve and Clowney, and if they want to add to the D-line and try and make it a force as opposed to, you know, it's, it's come good in the last couple of games, but before that it was inept, they want to add to the to the D-line they're going to have to spend. And I just wonder whether or not you take some of the BRIT money, use it to to bolster other areas, and then in the draft you have got players like Cesar Ruiz, who at Michigan are looking really good and could be an option for them. You've got uh, Tyler Beardas at, uh, at Wisconsin. You've got uh, Nick Harris at, at Washington. You've got players who could come in there. Alex Mack could be a free agent. they could also release BRIT and then re-sign him at a cheaper contract as well. That's also a possibility, on a, and an extended contract too. So there are a few options there. I don't think it's a, it's a guarantee that he's going to leave or anything, but it's kind of like an interesting talking point that I think we'll have at some point during the offseason.
0: All right, Rob, well, I want to take a quick break. We'll come back and, and close out the discussion on this game. There's also another guy who, who could potentially fill in at that center spot. Let's get to it right after the break. talking to Rob Staten Seahawks draft blog about the Seahawks 17 to nine victory over the Philadelphia Eagles nine and two on the season for the Seahawks and in prime position to uh
1: to get a playoff spot Rob yeah they are and you know I think that because the defense has played as well as it has the last couple of games I'm I'm affording myself probably for the first time this year to think about what else are they capable of I mean they're nine and two they're three wins away from a 12 win season, and they have three more home games. So, can they win their home games? And you know they're unbeaten on the road. Maybe you should be looking at the road games to, to get. To <laughs> I
0: am I am not rooting for the 49ers to beat the Packers tonight, Rob.
1: That that is not no, going to happen. No, no, no. <laughs> but but the thing is, is that if you get 12 wins, and they only need three, they only need to go to sort of what three and two now to get to 12 wins. Not many times do you get to 12 wins and miss out on a playoff bye, right? And, and really, obviously, it's going to come down to how good the 49ers are to finish the season. You know, they've perhaps regressed. I, I did wonder whether they would peaked a little bit too early a few weeks ago. And we'll f- I think we'll find out tonight because they, they took a step back against us and then didn't play particularly well against Arizona and were fortunate to come away with a win there. Now they're playing the Packers. And then they've got the Ravens and the Saints coming up next as well on the road. So, you know, they've got some tough games coming up, but... I'm looking at it and you know there's actually only one sort of lasting thought I have on this whole playoff picture thing at the moment Brandon is the Seahawks are not getting any help from anybody. Um, it feels like in the last couple of weeks the Niners could have lost uh, the Saints could have lost today easily, maybe should have lost at the end. Yeah. Carolina missed a kick and then gave up a you know some huge plays to to lose it with a with the Saints kick at the end. The Packers, you know, they're at 8 and 2 but have had a couple of close calls, haven't they? Uh, the Vikings were bailed out against Denver last week. So, all of the teams that are, are in the same kind of win range, that eight, nine win range, like the Seahawks, uh, are not dropping any victories here. It's, <laughs> it's not often, you know, when you, if you're nine and two, you've usually got a bit of separation. Yeah. Now, there's usually a few more teams in that kind of seven, six, seven win range, like the Dallas and, and Philly today. They're um, not getting much help. So, let's see what happens over the next few weeks because. I still think at the moment you've just got to concentrate on trying to win the NFC West. And if they keep playing this way, and of course they play the Niners in the last game of the season, so that could easily end up being the game. But we could do with the Niners losing... You know, probably at least two of these games against the Packers, Saints, and Ravens. Yeah,
0: two out of three seems good. And even if it's only one, uh, then it it still is kind of setting up for that Week 17 matchup. You mentioned if the Seahawks go three and two, you know, obviously, as long as one of those wins of the three is against the 49ers, that's putting them in in position to win the NFC West, assuming that the 49ers will drop at least a game or so uh, going down the stretch here. And one of the guys that could come back, we were talking about the center position. Uh, Ethan Posick on injured reserve. I, I can't help but wonder if he's able to come back. If he could be one of those guys that could potentially take over the center position from Joey Hunt.
1: Yeah, certainly an option. Um, I was thought watching him at LSU. I, I didn't really study him in college because the Seahawks had got just in Britt, and it, it kind of felt like they didn't need a center. And he was very much a center at LSU, and the way that he played at LSU was the way that a centre would play, not a guard or a tackle. So when the Seahawks brought him in and said, oh, he can play all these different positions, it was kind of a bit of a, "You really? You know, because he, he kind of looks like a centre. I think they and announced then, him as a tackle even that, that draft. Yeah. Well, they, they tried him out at tackle, and then I think he played a bit of there in this first preseason. Then they moved him inside, and then he, he's kind of played a bit at guard. And, and again, you know, he's a, for me, he was always been a center. It actually wouldn't surprise me if, if he ends up leaving the team and becomes a starting center somewhere because the one thing he did very well was just very solid. You know, not physically dominating at the center position, but just kind of just kept everything in front of him. Very good technique, didn't get beat very often at LSU, and was a solid center. So yeah, I think definitely. There will be a com- if he comes back, there'll be a competition between he and Hunt. Now they might just go with Hunt for consistency if Hunt's played several games. Um, and if they keep winning, then they might feel like, no, well, there's no reason to keep going back to this. But the problem is, is that Hunt has now had back to back games where they've just lined a defensive tackle right over him, over the top of him. And, you know, it's Fletcher Cox this week, it was a much weaker player against the, the Niners, and they've just run him over. Right. And Wilson was holding on to the ball an awful lot today and he couldn't really afford to do that because there was a bit of interior pressure and you know when they're playing you know I'm looking at the teams coming up the, the Vikings rush very well with that Zimmer of defence, uh, Panthers have got you know some quite good interior defensive tackles, the Niners rush all over their line um, the Rams obviously have got Aaron Donald, I mean you you've, you've got a bunch of players there that could cause the Seahawks some problems so if Posick comes back there may well be a competition yeah.
0: Well, I want to move over to special teams, Rob, and it's it's been kind of a, a weakness of the Seahawks uh, to this point of the season. Even when you look at DVOA, they're not ranked very high in terms of the rest of the league. But we did see Michael Dixon have an impact in this game. Two, two punts from Michael Dixon to Ugo Amadi downed uh, at the one and two yard line in this game.
1: Yeah, I mean, and it was great. I mean, the first punt was one of those where Dixon's had the kind of year where, when he has a punt like that, you're thinking, "What's going on?" And then they kind of announced that the wind was horrendous, and you could see that that was definitely having an impact there. But the rest of the game, you know, just fantastic punting, great direction, the the ability to get it down there and drop it into an area so that the players can can one, there's enough hangs so the players can get down there. Two, it, the bounce and the and the roll and the position of the football as it hits the turf to roll forward and get into that. And Ahmad done a very good job. I mean, he's he's very very good at that. Role, isn't it? I don't know how you describe that role—the guy who stops the ball on the two-yard line um, <laughs> to set up amazing uh, field position on defense. Um, but a but a very very good job on on both occasions. And but special teams is going to be important. I think that when you actually look through the teams who eventually go on and compete for championships, you know a lot of people on the internet will have you believe it's it's purely who your quarterback is, or it's how often you throw versus run, or anything like this. But it usually is who is the most complete team at the most important time which is the playoffs who has got a good quarterback who can run the ball who can play great defense and rush the passer who can play good special teams you kind of need all of those ingredients it's not often that you have one area that is completely awful and you have other areas prop them up to get to the Super Bowl so you know you look at the two teams in the Super Bowl last year Brady on offense very well coached defense uh, by Bill Belichick New England special teams, always very good. And then the Rams likewise, you know, they've got McVay's offense, Aaron Donald and defense, and then LA always have great special teams. They've got a great special teams coach. So, you know, the Seahawks need to, to have that aspect. And at times this year, whether it's been Myers missing his kicks, punt coverage, Dixon's punts, they've been lacking, but hopefully they can turn a corner as the defense has. And this is a sign of progress, I think the last two weeks, and they can, they can, continue to to play a role because the offense I think will be will be good. You know, they've shown enough this year for us to believe in this offense, even when they have a bit of a rough day like today. They can make explosive plays. They can run the ball. They can do what they need to do. Can the defense and special teams continue at this level? If they can, then as I mentioned earlier, I think the Seahawks can be a contender this year.
0: Well, one of the contenders in the MVP race, Russell Wilson, I want to give a public service announcement to, to Seahawks fans just to be warned that after this week, depending on what Lamar Jackson does against the Rams, and I think for Seahawks fans, we're all rooting for Lamar Jackson to do good things against the Rams on Monday night. But Russell Wilson, after this game, you know, just thirteen completions, two hundred yards. I, I it, it's a bit surprising to me to look at his QB rating of seventy five point four, and then to look at Carson Wentz's QB rating of seventy five point five, and and say that these two even had a similar type of game because <laughs> there were drop passes uh, by by uh, the the Seahawks. Uh, wide receivers but you know what Russell Wilson does deserve a little bit of that with Jacob Hollister in the end zone wide open and Wilson airmails him and I hear people making excuses oh the wind was so bad <laughs> Russell Wilson was not that far away from Jacob Hollister all you have to do is just drill it you know right at his numbers and and you have no worries at all if the wind affects it it's not going to
1: affect it by much yeah I mean he well one he probably could have just high stepped into the end zone <laughs> I don't think Defender was going to get there <laughs> And then two, he could have just—he could have rolled that underarm. I mean, he could have just, you know, he could have done anything there, you know. And he—it uh, was such a, an awful miss. I mean, he was so open. Right? There was no defender in the vicinity at all. Um, who knows what was happening there? I mean, yeah, Wilson um, did not have. A very, I thought he looked jittery. I thought he looked a bit sluggish today. Mm. I, I saw him at one point; he was coughing on the sideline, um, and I wondered if he was—he was actually ill. I mean, he—he he just didn't look. Quite as sharp today as he has in in previous games, and I'm telling you now, there is it's going to be hard to stop Lamar Jackson. Now, I think that Russell Wilson probably does warrant the MVP award because I think that Baltimore's uh, under the under Roman's offense, it's it's the same kind of offense that has worked for Colin Kaepernick and has worked for you know at Stanford as well. You know, it's it's a good running offense, and it utilises a good running quarterback. Uh, but Russell Wilson has kind of propped up this team up until probably the last two games and the defense have shown up. And I think that his numbers are unique enough. I mean, they were showing them today that nobody's done what Wilson's ever done. You know, 20 odd touchdowns, two interceptions in the first 10 games. He, he probably deserves to be number one in the race for MVP. Um, but I'm telling you, I watched two college football games yesterday, Brandon, Mm -hmm. and in both games, they had a segment for no reason whatsoever talking about Lamar Jackson being the MVP. <laughs> they brought up a picture of Lamar Jackson in his Ravens uniform uh-huh. and had his stats from the season on the screen. And they just really randomly talked about him. Now this is no doubt because I think they're on in, on Monday night football, aren't they? So they're, they're pushing the game a little bit on ESPN. It was two ES- ESPN games and they were pushing a little bit, but they weren't talking about the game. It wasn't they a Louisville say, uh, a college game. No, it wasn't a watching. Louisville college game. And they didn't go, and by the way, we've got Monday Night Football Monday and hey, this guy's playing really well. It yeah. was just randomly, there's a run by the quarterback. and I tell you who's good at running? It's Lamar Jackson and he's <laughs> he's the MVP, this, the front runner for the MVP. And it's, it's stuff like that that ends up I think deciding these things because it, 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 when when the narrative momentum is building towards one guy and one guy gets constantly taught up, it, it sort of plows through. And the, and the thing about Wilson is Wilson will have a, probably have a couple of games like this. Um, and Lamar Jackson will probably have a couple of games where he throws for 145 yards, one interception, one touchdown. But the thing is, he will have 100 rushing yards as well. And one of those rushing yards will be an improbable 70-yard scramble on third down. And everyone will say, what an incredible play. That's his MVP moment again. The other thing to remember with Lamar Jackson is that as great as he's played, I think he's played uh, the Bengals twice. He's played the Dolphins. And his, kind of his better games were against these hopeless teams who are... Essentially, tanking for draft position. So, I'm, I'm I, again. I think that Russell, given the, the teams that he's had to play and will play, should be the front runner. But I'm a bit cautious that anybody hoping Russell's going to win this might uh, be disappointed.
0: Oh yeah, I'm not going to go uh, putting any money on it just yet. But uh, I did want to just just preview to Seahawks fans that we're probably going to hear a lot about Lamar Jackson this week because, you know, and, and we can be okay with it because he's going to take the Rams completely out of the playoff picture for us this year. And, uh, and then we can be happy with that. And then maybe, and then we're going to be forced to cheer him on, uh, next week when he's playing the 49 or so I'm just, I'm getting used to it right now. How, how about that? By the
1: way, the, the fact that the Rams, have fallen so quickly. I mean, I, I'm, they may well come back, storm it back against the Ravens, and then the Seahawks are going to play them again. So I don't want to tempt fate too much. But yeah. I mean, just isn't it... I mean, they, they looked, for the most part last year and the year before, as if they were just going to dominate the NFC West for five years. That they were going to be a Super Bowl contender for... That we were entering an era of football that was going to be really difficult for the Seahawks to... They were going to be chasing the Rams for a while. And... Just with Todd Gurley's injury and and now his, his relative ineffectiveness compared to how he was, it seems to have just sucked the life out of the offense. That and the fact that the, the their left tackle is getting old. Yeah. Their their offensive line has, has regressed badly and got it's affecting Goff. Obviously players like Woods have been out for a long time, Cooks have been out for a long time. But also they've thrown everything at it. You know, they've they've got no like high draft picks coming up because they've traded for people like Jalen Ramsey and, and, and others in the past. They don't have any kind of young first, second round talent coming through the system. They've made so many trades. And you cannot look at the Rams now and you think, how has how's this happened? Well,
0: I think it highlights the, the importance of the offensive line. You, you mentioned how their offensive line with Whitworth getting old and they lose their center and you know they lose their left guard and free agency – and you look at uh, players like Carson Wentz, who was an MVP candidate behind a top-ranked offensive line with the Philadelphia Eagles. And, and look how much that's changed, especially with Lane Johnson being out in this game. And then you look at Lamar Jackson leading the MVP race. And this is the Baltimore Ravens that have the top-ranked offensive line in the league. So it just shows you that it, it, with Russell Wilson, it doesn't matter who you put in front of him. He can be that type of quarterback that gets you nine wins in 2019 but a quarterback like Carson Wentz and Jared Goff, they rely on having that those guys up ahead of them to, to keep them protected and allow them to be
1: in that MVP race. Yeah. And do you know what else I think it highlights, you know, cause there's a lot of nonsense on obviously Twitter about Pete Carroll and, and every time the Seahawks don't do something in a, <laughs> in a particular game that, that Seahawks fans agree with, uh-huh. there's all this kind of moaning on, on Twitter. Um, but, you know, just look at it. It shows how tough it is. The, the Eagles win a Super Bowl and look. You know, ready set with Carlson Wentz to be a, a contender for years, and, and they've regressed. And you look at uh, the way the Cowboys that first year under Dak Prescott, and then they've kind of just fallen back a little bit. And, you know, the way that the Packers won a Super Bowl and then, you know, weren't really able to sustain it moving forward when Aaron Rodgers looked like he was going to dominate the league for years. Baltimore won a Super Bowl thing and regressed. The 49ers were great under Harbaugh for a couple of years and then fell away completely. Um, there's really only two teams in the entire league that have been able to sustain like a decade of success. And that is obviously New England and uh, and the Seahawks. And that's not something to take for granted. You know, I do think that whenever the Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson era eventually ends and whatever happens next, we will end up sort of looking back on this and thinking, oh, I wish we'd enjoyed that a bit more than we did because it's, it's, it's just really hard to do. And for the Seahawks to, you know, a down year for the Seahawks is kind of like, Ten and six. Right. It's like last year. It was a reset year.
0: Or nine and seven when Blair Walsh misses you know, multiple game winning field oh, yeah. goals.
1: And 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 that was just a really weird year because of all the injuries and everything that happened, and, yeah. you know, career ending injuries. And even then they won nine games and they could have had ten easily. I mean, the, if Blair Walsh kicks the thing at the end, it's another ten win season. Last year they reset everything, rebuilt win 10 games, probably should have won a playoff game against Dallas mm-hmm. and 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 who knows what happens if they win that game and progress to the next one against the Rams who they played really close the last couple of games and now here they are with nine wins, they've already got a winning season, you know, so the, the Raleigh's they're going to be 9-7, they've got a great chance to get to the playoffs again, it's really hard to do what this team has done uh, for as long as they've done it and, uh, you know, hopefully it's going to continue for a few more years to come as well. Um, but I suppose the, the key thing is, is until they win another Super Bowl, I don't think people are going to fully appreciate this. They've kind of got to get rid of that sour taste of the end of the 2014 season, get that second Super Bowl. And then I think people will go, yes. And finally, once and for all, we will be able to look back on this era of Seahawks football as, as everything we you know could have dreamed for as fans. Well, there's one thing,
0: Rob, that we haven't talked about from this Eagles-Seahawks games that I don't think we can forego talking about before getting out of here. And that's Chris Carson, two fumbles on the day he loses one of them, two more times in this game, and then you have the the Russell Wilson interception, so the Seahawks not taking care of the football on offense. Uh, fortunately, they do get the turnovers on defense. But on back-to-back plays, Carson loses the ball with Drain Brown like elbowing it out of his hands. And then to follow it up, he thinks that Russell Wilson must have been faking the handoff because he, he acts like he's going to receive the ball. And then when Russell goes to, to hand it to him, he's no longer uh,
1: accepting of the football. I, I just don't know what's going on, Brandon. I mean, it's... Look, Carson it's it's one thing to have a bit of a fumbling issue it's it's getting to the point now that every time he has the football you kind of hold your breath
0: oh and being
1: up two touchdowns every time every single time yeah. i'm like oh is this going to be
0: like pittsburgh where we give it back to him and it's a one score game again to, for the last uh, however
1: many minutes now Marshawn had his fair share of fumbles. You know, people forget this. the The Marshawn, not as many as this, but Marshawn did fumble the ball quite, uh, quite. Let's say more than he should have done. Um, but it's it's become such an issue now, and and I, you wonder how it's affecting Chris because he must now be going into every game thinking, don't fumble, don't fumble, don't fumble, because he's he kind of got past the the issues early, and you think, right, okay, it's back on track now. And then they've come back, and the fact that it's gone away and come back again must be preying on his mind, they have to be talking about it during the week because they've got to try and find some improvement here. And I worry for him a little bit and it's a shame because he's got the potential to be, you know, a great player for, you know, another five, six years for the Seahawks. You know, they they would probably want to build their running game around him and, and a large part of their offense along with Muscle Wilson and Tyler Lockett and, and some of the receivers. So he's in a contract year next year. And I you know, I don't think you can unless he's willing to take a real major discount. This, I don't think he can do a deal this off-season because of the way he's played. So then you're kind of going into the final year and it, it, that puts a bit of pressure on him as well because then he's kind of thinking, I need to, to get through a year here if I'm going to get paid the way that I want to get paid. Um, and it is concerning. And the thing about Penny is, I, do you know what? When Penny comes in, do, do you just? I don't know if you feel this way, there's still just something about him that I just can't quite... I don't know what it is, because he has this brilliant ability. When he gets out, when he gets into space, you think, this is going to be interesting, this, he could make a guy miss, he could yeah. break off a 40-yard run here. His touchdown, you know, 58 yards, I think it was, all the way down, you know, the one he had against Pittsburgh, the same. You know, he can make a guy miss, get into the open field, and take it to the house. But the tough yards, I mean, there are so many plays where he just kind of runs up the middle and he kind of surrenders. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not a physical running back. You know, he's not the kind of guy that I think necessarily you'd want to be leading the offense. Um, He's kind of a nice compliment to to Chris, but they need Chris for the style that they play.
0: It does make you wonder if Travis Homer is a guy that can work into that physical type of running back role if they do decide to move on from Carson down the road. But I also, I kind of want to see Penny carry the ball more and see what he can kind of do when he gets into a rhythm. I felt like in this game... There were some moments that he did actually take to be physical at the end of runs, even on runs to the outside, where you know he was hitting a guy rather than going out of bounds. And then you know the way he just shrugged off the defender who was trying to tackle him on his way into the end zone was was kind of fun. And uh, and so maybe he's starting to see that he's able to kind of give himself more confidence with that physical type of nature. It's, at the end of the game, I'm definitely with you. It felt like he was like, he had he had seen Carson put the ball on the ground twice. It was like, OK, I, I don't care if I'm not going to break this one. I'm just not going to give the ball up because as soon as he got the ball, he was taking it with two hands. And and if there was a, a guy tackling him, he was just going to right down to the ground.
1: Yeah. And do you know what? Maybe, the, maybe a better way of looking at this is um, if he has 12 carries in a game, he may well have... A couple of those where it goes for like a loss of four yards because he kind of just crumples up in the backfield at the sight of you know the first defensive tackle. But if you, he maybe needs those twelve yards to get the kind of sixty-yard touchdown run, which he's very capable of, and once as I mean, if if he gets a crease, if he gets into space, if he can get him to the perimeter and your line as he was against the I think Rasul Douglas was was on him there, sort of trying to contain off the edge, he just made him miss and he was gone. And there was a couple of plays like that today where you just get him out to the perimeter and he can go. And then the touchdown, get him in space and he goes. And maybe he just needs, you know, enough at-bats to kind of hit the home run. And, and that's what the, should be this, the thought process here with him, to get him his touches because, you know, however he might have a few ineffective plays or a few wasted snaps, it just takes that one moment for him to get a huge play that can potentially, like it did today, win the game.
0: And, you know, Pete Carroll loves those explosive plays, whether it's in the run game or or whether it's in the passing game. So that that could be I think that's where they see his role. But you just hope that going through the season, the best option is to have both those guys playing well and to have the physical presence of Carson and to have that speed that Penny offers and just to, to change things up. And yeah, we just, gosh, with Carson, you hope it gets squared away. You mentioned the fumbling issues with Marshawn. Even if you count the playoffs, his worst season was 2012, where he had seven fumbles. Uh, so, and and Carson now, I think, is at least tied for that, if not over it.
1: Yeah, and I think there's one other thing that, you know, and there'll be a lot of fans who will cringe at this. I'm, I'm not for a second suggesting they should take one early. I'm, I'm not. Um <laughs> But it is a good draft for running backs. You know, there is a lot of talented running backs. I don't know if anybody's watched LSU recently. This this Edwards Allaire is it's just, he's, he's kind of like um, Darren Sprolls meets Michael Turner meets uh, Maurice Jones Drew. He's kind of this smaller guy. Yeah. Absolutely powerful. Had a huge 89-yard run yesterday against Arkansas. He just looks incredible. And, you know, he's probably the kind of player that might be there in rounds three, four sort of thing because of his size. And uh, I just think he looks really good. There's there's about 10 running backs that they could bring in. And if they wanted to add another one because of maybe some of these consistency and fumbling issues of some of their other players, just to add a bit of competition, secure themselves for the long term. Because we still, you know, Carson's, whether you pay him or not is a question mark. Even if he is such a you know an ideal fit for this offense, this team, mm-hmm. and you know Penny still has to show us a little bit more. So I, you know it might be something that they do. I, I, you know, I'm not for a second suggesting they should do it with their first two or three picks. Though that, that probably there are other areas they should prioritize first. Don't I, apologize for it, Rob. That's if running oh, backs
0: yeah. <laughs> in the draft are getting devalued to the point where guys like Josh Jacobs are falling to 24, and you know having that kind of impact like he's having for the Raiders, then yeah, what if the Seahawks are picking in the you know hopefully. They're picking the last pick of the draft, and maybe uh, that maybe that's just where the best player falls in that particular round of well, the draft.
1: I, I will say this, though, you know, so the last I've, I've done, I think, three mocks, and I've kind of been toying with putting another one out for the last couple of weeks. I've kind of been doing them but not publishing them. Um, and when you kind of get to that sort of late 20s, early 30s, there are guys like DeAndre Swift at Georgia and... Uh, Jonathan Taylor at Wisconsin, J.K. Dobbins at Ohio State, Travis CTN um, at Clemson, who are actually probably the best players on the board in that range, yeah. and provide. And if they lasted that far, would provide amazing value. So you know, well, that maybe that's a. I don't want to wind too many people up on Seahawks Twitter. Maybe that's a conversation <laughs> for another day.
0: <laughs> well, you know, maybe the, the maybe the folks from Seahawks Twitter they aren't listening this this deep in the show, so. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, there's probably something to complain about.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Rob, uh, what what do you got coming up at SeahawksDraftBlog.com? I know we had a, a big day of college football here on Saturday.
1: What are what are some of the big talking points coming out of Saturday's action? One of the things, oh, in terms of the college, well, one of the things i have like to do is that I, I've done for a couple of weeks now is really get into some of the stats on Pro Football Reference and, um, and sort of show where the Seahawks are because I think it's shed a bit of light. You know, it's really shown how... I think that Bradley McDougall's playing really well. And, and and I think people generally think he is playing well. But I don't think people realise how well he's playing. And some of those things and tell to sort of highlight the issues on the pass rush and, and the reason that J.B. Cloud is having a great year other than uh, the fact that he's not got a lot of sacks. So I'll be doing that again this week. Um, in terms of what was happening yesterday in, in college football, I mean, there's, there's an awful lot uh, going on at the moment. The Tua Tagovailoa injury has had a huge impact on the draft. I think that there's a number of players in this year's class that are getting massively underrated, and I think they're going to rise up... um, I kind of hope they don't, though, because I, I like the look of this this draft if certain players don't rise. So you've got someone like Jalen Rieger at TCU, a wide receiver. He's unbelievable. For me, he's a top 15 prospect, but if you actually go on any of the mock drafts, you never see him in the, like, the top 20 or 25. He's, he's on the board for a lot of for the Seahawks in a lot of these mock drafts. I'd love him to be around. Mm. Um, you see guys like Henry Ruggs, amazing. is a great wide receiver class. KJ Hamler, Sean Wade. Nobody talks about Sean Wade at Ohio State. For me, he's a top 20 player. Fantastic. Cornerback. Seahawks don't go corner early, but you know he's he's a really good player. Devonta Smith at Alabama. The running backs that I've talked about. Some of these centers that are they're really really good. You know I think there's some and the and the guy who I think is really really underrated is Isaiah Wilson, the huge hulking right tackle at Georgia. For me, I think he's just a notch below or Andrew Thomas, who's going to go top five as a, as a left tackle. I think Isaiah Wilson, as this process goes along, is going to really, really get up into possibly even top ten conversation, because I think he's the second best tackle in this draft. Nobody talks about him in the first round, so I'd be all in on that if Jermaine Effedi and George Fant move on if they wanted to go for a play like that. There's, there's a lot there's a lot of exciting things going on with this. I think it's an exciting draft class with a major strength at receiver, so some strength at running back and offensive line, not a lot of strength on the D-line, they're probably going to have to bolster this D-line in free agency if they're going to do it. Uh, not a good tight end class as well. Though Hunter Bryant's having a great year at Washington. So I, it's a very interesting class. Um, and I would, if anybody wants to talk about it and learn about it and, and have a discussion about what the Seahawks might do in the future, get on the draft blog. Uh, and we also talk a lot about the Seahawks during the season. And you know, it, although it's Seahawks draft blog, it is a general Seahawks blog as well.
0: I got to say, Rob, I, you know, we recorded this just right after the game ended, and I see you already have your recap posted at SeahawksDraftBlog.com. So you are on top of it, and uh, I appreciate you covering uh, covering that on the blog, coming on the show and talking about it, and people can follow you at Rob Staten on Twitter. I, I really want to thank you for for all the time that you put in uh, coming on the show.
1: I uh, oh, love it every time, Brandon. It's even better when we get to talk about a win.
0: Thanks once again to Rob for coming on SeahawksDraftBlog.com. Also, check out FieldGoals.com as the headlines clearly dominated by the Seahawks' defense, and they're showing in this game, holding the Eagles to just nine points, and on a day where Jadevian Clowney out to injury, something that, uh, if you would have told me beforehand... Probably wouldn't have expected it, but the Seahawks, they come away with the win. And am going to be watching the Rams game, going to be watching the 49ers game coming up. Hey, by the time you're hearing this, maybe we already know the outcome of that 49ers game. So with that said, let's get on out of here. Be sure and subscribe to the show, SBNation.com slash NFL Podcast. If you want to help support the show, you can go to glow.fm forward slash flock. We'll give you a shout out on the show in an upcoming episode. And don't forget, three in, three out. Coming up with Clinton Bonner, follow him at Clinton Bond, hashtag 3I3O. Make sure and send him all of your favorite moments from the game as well as your least favorite moments uh, in this matchup with the Eagles. Hashtag 3I3O. We'll be back later this week to talk about him. And with that, we'll get on out of here. Go Hawks.